Good evening, and welcome once again to Your Legal Rights on KALW FM 91.7 San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden, host of Your Legal Rights. And as once again we slide into the holiday season, with the end of the year rapidly approaching, perhaps not rapidly enough for some, we once again present year-end tax tips for your income tax for 2023. Of course, the first thing that comes to mind, how much has changed this year over last? How should I respond to changes in my investment portfolio? Perhaps losses in bonds that are starting to come back or um, investments in crypto? What do I want to be doing between now and year's end? And for that matter, what of a corporation? What do the managers and executives want to be doing between now and year's end? In what areas should they be focused? As always, we want to hear what are your questions, what's on your mind. We want to answer them. So give us a call at 415-841-4134. Again, our number, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the Bay Area, call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866-798-8255. And you can call us with any question you want to talk about taxation, your taxes this year, you're not limited at the point we may be in our conversation. And bear in mind that our guest can't provide you precise legal or tax advice without all the facts relating to your case, any more than your surgeon would diagnose your stomach pain without seeing you and examining you just based on a phone call. However, we're happy to pass along the legal principles to assist you in your decision-making and understand that our guests may be giving you legal guidance that wouldn't be the positions of their employers or clients. They're here to help. They're here to tell you what you want to be doing. And again, the phone number in the studio, 415-841-4134. If you're outside of the San Francisco Bay Area, 866-798-8255. Without further ado, let me jump right to our guest as tonight we have two of the best, an all-star cast. To guide us through this overview, overview, we have Frank Adam of Pacifica has been a great supporter of your legal rights. Frank is an attorney and a real estate broker, and more importantly, a certified public accountant. Frank, welcome to your legal rights. Good evening, Jeff. How are you? And not to be outdone, Cindy Ho of Cindy Ho Law in San Jose has over 20 years of experience focused extensively on tax controversy and litigation. She possesses significant experience in advising and advocating for individual, small business, and corporate clients on numerous tax issues before federal and state taxing agencies. Cindy Ho has also represented clients before the U.S. Tax Courts, U.S. District Court, U.S. Bankruptcy Court, and various California courts. Cindy, welcome to your legal rights. Good evening. Thank you for having me, Jeff. And let's start. I'd like to frame our discussions before we go any further. Let me ask, what do I want to be doing? And this is me as an individual. What do I want to be doing between now and year's end? So I think that a taxpayer, um, now that we're coming to a close for the end of the year, to get ready for the next tax season is to get all their paperwork in line. Um, I know that a lot of people... Um, 
don't get physical documents, and I have this come up in my practice where clients forget to report a distribution from a life insurance policy or an IRA because that statement is, you know, accessed through their online account, and you have to download it, and you don't get a physical document. So I would make a list of all of the financial accounts that you have, potential, you know, um, financial institutions that could be reporting income. Um, if you own a business, then you want to make sure that your accounting records are up to date and you have all those documents ready for your tax repair. Frank, is there anything you want to add to that? Or are you in full accord? Jeff, um, I, I hate to disclose this on the air, but I'm having a very difficult time um, hearing the conversation. I'm just about sending you text. So do you want to read... I could continue talking with uh, Cindy if you want to call back. You know the line to dial into, and we can try again. Okay, I'll do that. And Cindy, while we were talking last year, we were talking about these enhanced unemployment benefits and various things that um, that were unique to these special times involving the pandemic. You know, when are some of these benefits taxable? So the economic impact payments, those are tax credits. So that those would not be included in taxable income. The uh, the state of California middle class um, payments, um, I think it averages around $700. That would not be considered taxable income. For tax year 2020, if you were receiving unemployment, it's not taxed at the state level. Um, but only in two th- at all. Um, however, for the IRS, there was an exclusion at the federal level in 2020 for uh, you to exclude $10,200 of unemployment income that would normally be taxable at the federal level, but would no would not be taxable for that year only, and only up to $10,200. So let's talk where the rubber meets where the rubber meets the road. What's changed this year over last? Has much changed? Not much has changed um, between last year and this year. Um, I I think that there are, um, with respect to the the Trump tax bill, as we approach 2026, a number of major changes that were made in 2018 will start phasing out in 2026. So you'll start to see major changes in 2026, but not much from 2022 to 2023. Now, to some of our Bay Area counties, there's a big difference in that we had an automatic extension, not only on when to file, but when to pay in many of the counties due to the extreme storms we had at the year end of last year. That won't be effect in effect this year, will it? Well, if we if if California is hit with another surge Joanne, of storms and can you floods, give Frank a call? I'm sorry? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, if if we're hit with another, you know, um, a surge of storms and floods possibly, um, it was it was pretty unprecedented that the IRS gave all taxpayers until October 16th, 2023 to pay and file. And then 
on the day of uh, the, the final filing deadline, they extended it another month. Um, so it is well within the possibility if California is affected like it was earlier this year. So it's definitely possible, which has been great. Um, a lot of my clients benefited from uh, the additional time to get their records together, short money to pay their taxes. So it is definitely possible. We'll have to see. And unless something incomparable happens, my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, you can file for an automatic extension. It's not discretionary. They'll give it to you as far as filing your paperwork. But last year was unique in that they gave you the additional time to pay as well without penalty. Yes, that was very unique. So for the IRS, you do, um, so for 2022, everybody got an automatic extension. You didn't need to file anything, same with the state. However, for tax year 2023, unless the IRS issues an exception where the state follows suit, Taxpayers should file an extension with the federal, um, with the IRS to get additional time. So if, if we're talking about the individual tax deadline of April 15th, you can get an, an automatic extension by just filing the extension form to October 15th. With the state of California, it's automatic. So you get an automatic extension. You don't need to file anything with the state of California. So last year I was asking about major changes brought on by the pandemic and then by the stimulus those are pretty much behind us now but then we had the overheating of the economy the high interest rates things of that nature anything unique about those things as it relates to your taxes um so there is one thing that i want to mention um that still stems from the pandemic if you are a business that has employees. So if you have employees, there is a program, and this is part of the, um, the various uh, tax programs that was initiated because of the pandemic, um, you can apply for the employee retention credit. And that's for business owners who saw a reduction in their gross receipts in 2020 and 2021, certain quarters. And if you have seen a reduction of at least 25%, the company can apply for a credit towards um, their payroll taxes. And this is just cash that you would get back by uh, filing for the credit, um, and it goes directly to the business, assuming you qualify. There is another way to qualify, but reduction of gross receipts is the easiest. Now, in terms of the, um, the other... Uh, programs, um, most of those have, have phased out. Um, I know that there are still businesses that are affected by the pandemic, and there are a number of programs, and I'm not an expert in this area, but I, I understand that there's a number of programs with the SBA to get SBA loans at reduced interest rates um, that you can consider. Um, I know that in terms of if you do owe the IRS, for example, because of inflation and the interest rates have been increasing, the cost of owing the IRS money has gone up as well. So before, I think the interest rate was hovering at 7.5%. If you owe the IRS money, you'd be charged interest on top of what you owe. Now it's bumped up to about 8%. So just bear that in mind. Um, make sure you make your timely estimated tax payments on time so you, you don't 
uh, run into that situation with Owen and the IRS of the state of California. Does that apply only to people who haven't paid by April 15th, or does that apply to businesses not paying their quarterlies as well? It applies to businesses as well. So um, for businesses, um, if you are a corporation, you're required to make estimated tax payments, um, a C-corporation. If you are a business that has employees, then you're required to make payroll tax deposits depending upon how large your gross payroll is. And if you don't make those payments on time, not only does the IRS charge interest, but there's also late payment penalties. And for payroll taxes, it can be quite significant versus individual taxes. So we talked about the pandemic changes. We talked about the interest rate and what those might do. Well, let's talk a little more about the interest rates. Interest rates are on the rise, and it seems that a lot of the things that we would have been able to get credit or or write our, our deductions for the interest rates may have been taken away some years ago. Where are we in terms of home mortgage interest or uh, various other forms of interest on our credit cards, whatever it may be? Where are we as far as being able to take credit for those or or deduct yeah, those. So one of the changes uh, really impacted, um, especially in states where the cost of buying real estate is a lot more expensive than other states. Um, traditionally, the mortgage interest deduction um, prior to the Trump tax bill, you can deduct up to interest on debt of a million dollars. Plus, you have $100,000 of an equity line or a line of credit against your home, which you can use for anything. So it's 1.1, interest related to at least debt of 1.1. You can deduct on your income tax return. And after uh, the the tax laws change, that was reduced to 750. And they got rid of that $100,000 of credit line or home equity line that you can use for anything. That doesn't exist any longer. So um, the homes that were purchased, this was, there's a, I don't have the specific date, but definitely 2018 moving forward, you're limited to interest on acquisition debt of 750 or less. Um, and that can be significant. So in the Bay Area, if you can buy a home for 750 <laughs> that's pretty inexpensive, you know, to me. Um, in addition to that, another thing that's related to mortgage, mortgage interest is property tax. So um, prior to the change, if you pay property tax and also state income tax, you can deduct dollar for dollar what you're paying on your income tax return. However, after the laws changed, that was limited to 10000 So if you pay, you know, let's say $20,000 in property tax and $20,000 in income tax, that's 40000 which you would have been able to deduct. Now that's reduced to 10000 But as I understand it, 10000 is what we refer to as a salt cap. And that doesn't just yes. apply to your property taxes, but that's all state and local taxes? Yes, including sales tax. That's right. So your sales tax, your income tax, your property tax, all of it, the most you can deduct is 10000 Exactly. 
which is a wonderful thing if you're living in Iowa, that's plenty. But in California, New York, New Jersey, that's a drop in the bucket. It is. But uh, those um, changes will phase out in 2026. So a lot of the changes from um, the tax bill will expire, and it'll go back to the old rules. But until then, that's the ball that we have to live under. Let me turn it over to Alex in San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi, thanks for taking my call. Um, my question is about maximizing uh, 401k or IRA. Um, I'm over 50 and I lost my job uh, in the early part of the year. I have a um, good amount of savings. And then I have been partially employed for the last five months. And during this partial employment, I've been trying to put 100% towards um, Roth 401k. Now, I will be nowhere close to the 30k max for the year. And I'm wondering if there's any way I can put more money into 401k. The 401k limitation is is quite uh, it's, it's strict. So the answer is no. Um, you could, you know, outside the 401k, you could contribute to a Roth IRA. Um, there are income, so for example, if your income exceeds a certain threshold, you may not benefit from a contribution onto into your IRA because normally it would be a reduction in taxable income. But there's a form that you can complete to roll that over to the next year so then if you can benefit from that deduction in a following year, um, you can So, um, but you're not going to be able to contribute more to a 401k. And what is a backdoor backdoor IRA or backdoor Roth, something like that? I'm sorry, you were asking about what type of IRA or Roth? There's some something called backdoor uh, Roth or backdoor IRA where I can move my um, pre-tax 401k into a Roth. Well, I guess, are you referring to a, a rollover? So if you have a traditional IRA, you can roll it over to a Roth IRA. Is that what you're referring to? Um, so if I have traditional 401k, can I roll it over? Not Roth, but 401k? If you have a traditional IRA and you want to roll it into a 401k, is that the question? If I have a traditional 401k, not a Roth 401k. Can I roll it to Roth? Okay, so you want to roll a, a, a traditional 401k into a Roth IRA. Is that correct? Is that what the question? Yes, yes. Okay, I'm not aware that you can roll over a, a, a traditional 401k into a Roth IRA. I am aware that you can roll over a traditional IRA to a, a Roth IRA, but I think the best person to talk to would be the financial institution that manages the IRA. Like if you, I have my retirement account with Fidelity, um, I would contact yeah. that financial institution uh, because they, they have those different products and they can better advise you on what your options are. All right. Wonderful. Thank you very much. You're Alex, very welcome. Alex, thank you for joining us in your legal rights. Thanks. 
So we talked a little bit about the salt limit. Um, before we move on, could you explain to people exactly what that means and where it came from? Uh, the salt limits um, are in relation to the Trump tax bill. And in order, so there's a number of things, good things, I think, for business owners that came out of that, but then there were certain things that affected individual um, taxpayers uh, that wasn't as, as beneficial for them. And so one of the, the biggest changes, if you have a business under the new, uh, under the tax bill, you got a 20% deduction uh, on your individual return from your net income. So for example, if you had a business and it made net income of 100000 and that flowed to your personal return, instead of paying income taxes on 100000 you would get a 20% deduction off of that, so you'd pay taxes on 80000 Now, I'm simplifying that because there's other things that may affect what you can deduct. And in order to pay for that benefit, there had to be other things that needed to be changed to reduce, uh, to generate, generate more tax revenue to, to allow business owners to have that tax benefit. And one of the areas is the salt. It's the state and local um, income tax deduction. And so that was a big one, especially for states like California and New York, where if if you're making $250,000 a year and you got a mortgage, you're paying high income tax, you're paying a lot of sales tax, you're paying a lot of property tax. And so that's, you know, if you're now limited to 10 and you need to deduct 50000 that's a $40,000 deduction. And if you're taxed at the highest rate, that's 30, 39.36.9%. So, and then, um, so that's a huge, huge write-off that you can no longer claim. So if you upped it to 40%, 40% times $40,000 deduction, um, that's $16,000 in taxes now that you have to pay. So I, my my opinion is that that was a way for um, the government to fund deductions elsewhere, and that was one of the, the things that was affected. So let me run this one to both of you. Frank, it's good that you're back with us. Um, last year, I asked a question because investments in the market are up like 20% over the last year. Um, most of us find that ordinary income is slow, if not tanking, but our investment incomes are way up. What can we do? This year, it seems it's just the opposite. Many of the investments are flat, and yet our regular income seems to be doing pretty well. What could we do to shelter that a bit better? I don't know that one can shelter. You're talking about a capital gain or a capital loss versus ordinary income. Well, those are two different types of income tax at two different types of rates. Uh, I'm not sure that if, if, if this year a person has a loss on a stock uh, and they have a substantially high ordinary income out, they might want to liquidate the stock, but stock losses are limited to the $3,000 per year or 
reducing the amount of capital gain. So that, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, also, I don't think people should, given the volatility of the market, I don't think people should panic and start selling off investments in anticipation of something bad happening, um, especially if they're going to take significant losses and they don't have significant gains to offset. Alrighty, Cindy, how do you feel about that? Are you on the same page there? I, I'm on the same page as Frank. Um, I didn't quite hear everything, but I think I got most of what he said. But I, I share his thoughts as well. One of the things we talked a little bit about, and we've spoken of several times in the last year, is virtual currency or cryptocurrency. You know, as the amount that I have in Bitcoin or Ethereum, is that more visible to the IRS than in years past? It is now. If one disposes of virtual currency, that has to be indicated on the first page of the return. Uh, I make it, in my practice, I make it a point to tell the clients that and to ask them specifically in my engagement letters whether or not they even have a virtual currency account. Probably a good idea to uh, keep very, very good records of what you have in that regard, and especially if you have disposed of virtual currency. Because that has to be reported without question. Just the fact that you've disposed of it. Also, there's one other thing I wanted to add. Um, if, if you are trading in cryptocurrency and you're trading on foreign platforms, um, and so these platforms are going to be less visible to the IRS, but these are transactions that still have to be reported. And because you're trading on foreign platforms, you're getting into the area where you have to make disclosures about foreign financial assets on your tax returns. And the penalties for failure to make these disclosures are quite significant. So that's something to bear in mind as well. Now, one of the things that we were talking about in past years is new employees, people that may in the past have been considered contractors, people that work for us, piecemeal as opposed to being regular employers, uh, regular employees. And we didn't really get into that much in terms of what that does to my taxes. Who do I have to, you know, what are that's changed under Prop 22? Who do I have to pay taxes on? Who do I have to send 1099s to? The gardener, the housekeeper. Um, we have about a minute before we break for station ID. Do you have any quick thoughts on that? So if you're going to pay anyone um, that's not considered an employee and there's a test for that, and your gardener would not be your employee or your housekeeper, you're supposed to issue a 1099 if what you pay that individual is more than $600, and you'll need their tax identification number for that, either their business tax ID or their personal tax ID. And if it's an investment property, you should definitely do it because you're going to be writing off the payments that you pay to the gardener to maintain, you know, the lawn 
at your investment property um, or a housekeeper that you may have cleaning your investment property. So that is something that a taxpayer should do. So especially and those... I don't think we have... I'm sorry. I was going to say, based on what you said, especially those listeners that might own a house that they list on Airbnb or the like, the housekeeper that comes in and makes the beds and things of that nature, you should definitely 1099. Is that what you're telling us? Yes. Especially if you're going to write that off as a tax deduction. But technically, you're supposed to pay anyone a 1099, whether it's investment or non-investment, if they're performing services for you. Because the IRS wants to make sure that the income you're paying out to someone else, that that someone else is actually reporting that income and paying taxes on it. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco. We'll be back right after this. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's lawyer referral service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org. And we're back. Let me turn it over to our caller on the line from San Francisco. Welcome to your legal rights. Hi, um, this is Anne in San Francisco. Anne, welcome. You're on the air. Um, I have questions because I retired this year. And um, I retired at the end of June, so I was working a full six months, and then now I'm getting Social Security and a pension. Um, my question is, how much of the Social Security is actually taxable, or is it all taxable? It depends on how much other income you earn. husband is still working. So is there, like, a limit for everything, or...? Hello? Hello? Frank, did you hear the question she was asking? Is there, you know, if you could give an idea what the limits are and where that would come in? Yeah. Well, there's a, calcul- there's a calculation that has to be done depending on what you have earned. Okay. So you're going to have to go through that calculation to figure out just how much of your Social Security would be taxable. I think as a general rule, it's uh, it's up to about 85%, but the calculation will differ depending on the taxpayer. Right. Okay. I didn't know if it was a, you know, flat amount or whatever. But, okay. And then, um, yeah, because I started withholding 22% from my Social Security um, for not the first couple months, but the last few. And I don't know if, if I'm only getting Social Security and a pension, do you think that's too much to be withholding, or is that about right? It's, there's no way to know that without actually calculating what oh. your total pension and total Social Security is. Okay. Because you're going to be in, depending on how much you get and when you get it, um, you're going to be in various different brackets. Right, okay. So there's, the, the best thing to do is seek, if, you, if you're preparing the return yourself, that's going to be more difficult to do if yeah. you have a tax preparer. Maybe they can help you, or they can prepare for you what's called a pro forma and tell you approximately how your Social Security would be taxed. Okay. Yes, I have a tax preparer. He's my (laughs) father-in-law. Well, you may be able to get that without a fee then. (laughs) 
perhaps. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you for joining us, Sam. Okay. Bye. You're listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. I'm Jeff Hayden, and tonight we're offering up tax tips for year's end. Our guest tonight, Cindy Ho of Cindy Ho Law, APC in San Jose. Ms. Ho is a member of the taxation section of the California Lawyers Association. And Frank Adam of Pacifica, a great supporter of your legal rights. Frank is a an attorney, an accountant, a real estate broker, and a certified public accountant. If you have questions for my guests, our phone number is 415-841-4134. Once again, that's 415-841-4134. If you're not inside the San Francisco Bay Area, you should call us toll-free at 866-798-8255. That's 866 866- Seven nine eight eight two five five, and as always, you can call regarding any question on tonight's topic. We're talking about tax tips, taxation. You can really call about any general question on taxation. You don't have to jump in at the point we may be in our conversation. And talking about our conversation, one of the questions I like to ask you every year: What? new legislation has emerged that we should know about. Cindy, would you like to jump in on this one first? Not much is new in terms of legislation, um, although there's been changes with respect to the standard deduction that always gets a bump. Um, there are child tax credits and dependent care tax credits and earned income tax credits that um, get a, a slight bump. Um, and so not much has changed. Uh, Frank may have something to add on that end. I think I heard Cindy correctly. I agree. There's, there haven't been a lot of changes to the tax code in the past year. That may change in 2025. I don't think it will change next year. Um, but there are some changes to um, the Social Security date. The, uh, and I don't, and there's uh, earned income ceiling. But apart from that, I don't know of any major changes. Um, I would, I'll stop there. I, I, don't, I don't see anything that, um, that I could add to that. Am I correct in assuming that given the inflation that we've had, that the government has seen fit to increase standard deductions quite a bit from where they were? I mean, more than they would normally increase it in years past? So the standard deduction for 2023, uh, let's see, um, for 22 was $12,950. Um, that was for 22. Frank, do you know what it's going to be for 23? I'm looking at that right now. Um, give me one second and I'll get back to you on that. The figure I found, and this may not be accurate, but I found for single filers it's 13850 And for married couples it's 27700 That seems to be a bit higher than last year. 6 yes. or 7% higher. It's... It, 
the standard deduction for a for twenty twenty three four single is thirteen eight you're correct, thirteen eight fifty. Married is twenty seven seven. Head of household head of household, excuse me, is twenty thousand eight hundred and married filing separate is thirteen eight fifty. So it's it's not quite a thousand dollar difference in, in the single in the single category. It's not quite two thousand in the married category. So it's a bit over seven percent. It's pretty significant. And to that end, I have some good news for those that don't file with a standard deduction. Those who need the help of people like yourselves to get their taxes together, find all their appropriate deductions. It appears that the income tax bracket were also adjusted for inflation at a similar rate. So there won't be that bracket creep where we all get bumped into higher brackets because of inflation. Do you agree with that assessment? I agree with that assessment. Um, and so there's adjustments on, you know, before you hit the next bracket, there's uh, an adjustment on the threshold income before you hit to the next bracket. So that is that is true. I haven't done the calculations to see what the percentages are, but there's always an increase um, in those ranges from year to year. So one of our callers was asking about Naira. And as is tradition, I'm going to ask you to tell us a little bit about the different kinds of IRAs. Now, he asked about some of these different kinds, but I'm going to ask if you could tell us what a Roth IRA is, what a SEP IRA is, what a self-directed IRA is, and what a 401k is. Basically, if you could kind of break it down a bit so that we can figure what we should be putting our money toward. Okay, well, a Roth IRA, Roth IRA is, you, uh, you know, these are all retirement. Okay, wait, uh, I, for our listeners, um, I, I have to apologize that our guests have a very hard time hearing. This is a fact of modern living. The weather, the inclement weather took out a lot of our internet connection and phones, so we're making do. But clearly, our guests couldn't hear one another. So I'm going to ask uh, who would like to jump in first. Frank, go ahead go and take ahead. it away. Frank, you're on. <laughs> okay. A Roth IRA does not give you a tax deduction in the year that you make the Roth contribution, but it does allow the investment to grow, and when you withdraw at the appropriate time, everything is tax-free. A regular IRA gives you a tax deduction in the year that you make the contribution, and when you withdraw it you are taxed on the amount that you withdraw. And there are required minimum distributions uh, at the approximately age of 72. And if you don't make those distributions, you don't take that distribution, the penalty is stiff. It's about 50%. A SEP IRA is a simplified employee pension plan, and that has higher limits, higher amounts that you can contribute and it's available largely to self-employed individuals. A 401k is is a deduction from a wage. So, and it's possible for a self-employed person to set up a 401k, but you're going to need the assistance of uh, a plan administrator to establish that account. Also, a 401k will likely require at some point in its 
in its growth, depending on when you reach a when you reach a particular amount of assets in that plan, you're going to have to file a separate return. The SEP IRA does not have that requirement, but there are some interesting legal distinctions between a SEP and a 401k, which I won't go into, but it's something that you should look at if you're planning to do a, a 401k or something called a Keel plan. But a SEP is strictly for the self-employed person. To the best of my knowledge, yes. I'm, I'm not sure that a SEP is going to be available to an employee. Cindy, do you know differently if you can hear me? Cindy, I don't no, know if you could... I, it oh, is go for ahead. a self-employed person. That's correct. So let's talk about some of the other deductions people used to take. What... Um, what about those charitable deductions? Have they tightened up on those at all? Only to the extent that in one year you could take, I believe you were married, up to $300 of a charitable contribution deduction, deduction even if you took the standard deduction. I don't believe that's available anymore. So they took it away to where you can't claim it if you use a standard deduction, but for those of us that have to itemize, it's still it's still there? Yes, but remember, the with the higher standard deduction, it's the, the itemized deduction becomes, in a manner of speaking, a little less valuable. You're going to have to reach a higher amount of itemized deductions to the point where they exceed what the standard deduction would be. For people that have no mortgage or have a very low property tax base, you may not even reach the standard deduction amount if you count your mortgage, your taxes, both income taxes and property taxes. So if you're, in a manner of speaking, if you're a lower income person, the standard deduction really benefits you. So what about some of these other deductions? Maybe they're a little less appreciated by some of the rest of us. What about the three martini lunch? Well, as, as an employee, on the federal side, you can't take an employee business expense, the, the entertainment expense. On the state, in California, you can, but it's still subject to the 2% adjusted, what's called the 2% adjusted growth income limit. So anything below 2% of your adjusted gross income is not going to qualify. On the federal side, if you are self-employed, you can take a deduction for entertainment meals only, and only half of it is deductible. Any entertainment expenses like ball games, theaters, what have you, none of that is deductible, only the meals, and only to the tune of 50% of what you pay. So the three martini lunches are still available, but you can't really get the taxes. We can't get the government to pay for that third martini. Yeah, that's true. So 
We're getting close to the end of the hour, and it seems that I've been a little remiss in talking about the nuts and bolts and what people should be doing right now. You mentioned some of the documents that people should really start getting together. Um, One of them that comes to mind is the mortgage interest statement. Of course, for those of us paying mortgages, uh, we'll get that from the lender probably sometime next month. What other forms are we going to need for our taxes? You'll need to get your W-2. And if you have financial investments, the financial institution may issue uh, a 1099, consolidated 1099, which will cover interest income, dividend income, disposition of stock. Uh, If you have cryptocurrency, uh, you can get reports. So if you have a Coinbase, uh, account, you can actually download a report by Coinbase. If you use another wallet that doesn't have that option, then you are going to have to get those figures yourself. Um, there are applications that you can purchase where you can um, use the aid of an application to help you calculate any gain or loss from cryptocurrency trading. In addition to that, If you have foreign bank accounts, um, you want to make sure that you get income records for your foreign bank accounts. Rental properties, you want to also make sure that you have track of your income-related expenses for investment property. If you took money out from a 401k or an IRA um, or you took a, a taxable distribution from a life insurance policy or annuity, do you want to look out for all of those types of records? Is there anything I missed, Frank? Uh, the only thing I was going to add to that is if you are self-employed and you're keeping a and you're taking a automobile deduction, make sure that you have a mileage law. The tax court had recently issued an opinion where a taxpayer who had three cars, two of which used 100 or claims to have used two of those cars purely for business and took a hundred percent deduction and on the third car he took no no deduction because he said that was the that was purely personal use the irs disallowed the the hundred percent business deduction on the two other vehicles because he lacked a mileage loss and the rules came the as i recall reading the case no log no deduction very important to keep that law. What about um, our investments? Will we be getting something from somebody that tells what you've made in your various investments that you put, uh, placed through a brokerage? Yes, they'll give a 1099-D, either by itself or in, I think Cindy mentioned the consolidated statement. Uh, many of the brokerage houses issue a consolidated 1099 where one portion will deal with interest, another section will deal with dividends, and the other will deal with uh, capital gains and losses, both short-term and long-term, and it's important that that information matches what's on your tax return. And uh, if people have many and many of those transactions, it's probably a good idea to use a tax preparer.
the last thing is what if I want to claim charitable contributions, what do I need to put to what do I need to find in order to justify it? We should get a receipt from the, the entity to which you made the contribution. If you're making non cash contributions, if the amount exceeds five hundred dollars, you're going to need detail about that contribution. You're going to need to know who you gave the various items to, the date that you gave it to them, the amount that you paid for the items, and how you valued the deduction amount. Uh, you also need names and addresses of the various entities. Most entities will issue a receipt, but they're not going to fill in the value information. That's up to the taxpayer to determine, and it should be reasonable. And what I would also recommend, because I actually made a donation today, is um, I took pictures of all the items that I was donating, and so um, and so that will help me create a list of all of the items that I'm donating. So a lot of times when you donate to Goodwill or Salvation Army, the the list the um, receipt that they give you. It's not going to be enough, to, you know, uh, room for you to complete everything that you might have donated. So that's also good evidence where I've provided photos of what's being donated because my client didn't um, didn't have a very detailed list, but we could see in photos exactly what's being donated. And you had mentioned 1099s. Am I correct in finding that it looks like? Um like these are going to be the same next year as they always have been, but it looks like there may be some reform coming to where we don't have to file those pesky 1099s. Are either of you familiar with what might be coming in the next year or two? There was, there was a push for 1099s to be issued on trans- bank transactions over a $600 amount. But that has been put off. I don't know that that's going to come back. That would be very unpopular. Uh, depending on what happens in, 20, in November of 2024, they see major changes to the tax code in either direction, uh, depending on the next administration, whether it's new or a continuation of the current. The current tax code expires uh, in 2025. or the changes made to the tax code expire in 2025. So there may be stuff coming, but so far it's it's stalled, if it is. Well, it's unknown. I don't know that it's stalled, but it's, it's certainly unknown at this point. You know, when I look at some of the individual credits that are at issue, it looks like some of the figures would be great if you live in one of those red states in the middle of the country where where your dollar goes pretty far. But in one of these states on the two coasts where your money doesn't go as far, you make more of it, but it doesn't go as far, your deductions for things like child-dependent care credit seem to be so limited that um, they don't amount to much. Well, that's just the nature of the code. The federal tax code is uniform without regard to the economy of a particular state. So that's why the various um, lawmakers from those various states are 
are asking, depending if, if they're in a if you're in a low tax base, they don't want their taxpayers to subsidize higher higher tax base such as California. People in states such as California are complaining that they're losing the benefits of deductions they would otherwise have. That's more of a political question than it is a financial one, but the two intersect. And then, of course, there's the idea that our government gives us services amounting to maybe 90 cents on the dollar in California, and there's other states where it might be 200% on the dollar, 200 cents on the dollar for what they pay in taxes. So there is a, there is a lot of political questions that rotate around that. We're running shorter on time, and I did want to give each of you a, a two minutes or so for any closing thoughts you had. Uh, Cindy, do you want to go first? Sure. Um, if you're a business owner, I'm a business owner, and you want to maximize on your deductions before the year closes, buy your office supplies, buy any equipment that you have to before um, the new year, and then you can take that as a write-off uh, for um, the 2023 tax year. So you want to just make sure if, to do that now, um, especially if these are expenses that you plan to spend um, anyhow in 2024, do it in 23 so you can take the deduction. Thank you. And Frank, you want to take two to three minutes for any closing thoughts? Yeah, I heard some of what Cindy said. Uh, I think what I would add is prepare. Get your documents together. If you're you're self-employed and you don't keep a regular set of books, it's time to start collecting whatever documents you do have so that you can support the income and deductions that you take. Uh, In terms of planning for next year, if you are anticipating a worse year in 2024 than you did have in 2023, you may want to make capital acquisitions, equipment, and things like that. And Cindy may have talked about it. I didn't hear it all. Uh, You may want to make those acquisitions before the end of the year and place those assets in service before the end of the year. If you expect a banner year next year, you might want to defer your capital or capital asset acquisitions until the next year. You may get a larger tax break. After that, 2025, you just have to wait and see. And one last question. As we're talking about people getting ready for years and maybe next year uh, preparing their taxes in general, you both have some very interesting credentials, and tell us a little bit about when somebody's going to want to go to a CPA and when somebody wants to go to a tax lawyer. Well, I think from a preparation standpoint, there's probably very little difference if the attorney who is not a CPA is well-versed in preparation issues. They know if they know numbers and they can prepare the return uh, as well as any CPA, I don't see a difference there. I, I would seek out the advice of an attorney if there are complex or controversial tax questions. Um, your conversations with the attorney will be privileged, although the information that is required to be disclosed to the IRS and third parties is not necessarily privileged. Cindy, if you can hear me, you concur with that? I do agree with that, um, especially if you're dealing with very sensitive issues. You want to be having these conversations with an attorney and not your CPA 
So you can maintain attorney-client privilege, especially for sensitive cases. It's very important to do that. Um, in addition, you know, if the, the case is, is potentially going to be litigated, um, then you want to make sure you have an attorney on board um, that could um, be prepared for litigation in tax court if, it, if the case goes to that. It, it occurs to me, and you can comment on this, but as an extension of what you just said, even if you're on the up and up with the IRS and there's no sensitivity there, if you anticipate that people are going to want to be combing through your books and your communication and you think there's litigation coming perhaps from someone who wants to wrest control of, of your corporation or, the, or, or any number of reasons, it sounds like you may want to set up and, uh, that privilege to be preserved in a way that you can't do with an accountant. Is that, you think that's fair? I think yes, that's fair, and I, I would agree uh, with that. It depends on the circumstance. If you're talking about non-tax litigation, you certainly want to speak with an attorney and not necessarily the accountant. Uh, but if it's, if it's simply a question of understanding the various financial instruments that you are involved with, then perhaps it's best to speak with the CPA as well. But uh, it, it really depends. That's a difficult question, in my opinion, to answer because it depends on facts and circumstances, and they're, they're always different. So maybe get that consultation first, kind of sort out what your issues are, then yeah. figure where you're safest. Yeah. Cindy, where should somebody go for that consultation? Should they start with their lawyer or start with their CPA, do you think? It doesn't hurt to start with an attorney, but if your conversation is really about the numbers of the tax return and whether or not things are calculated correctly or whether or not things are taxable, a CPA is fine. But if, if the issue is more complicated, it doesn't hurt to start with an attorney. And the attorney will then at that point direct you to a CPA. And in some cases, what could happen is the attorney may suggest, hey, let's hire another CPA to give us to, for, for my law firm to work with that CPA. And you can extend the privilege to this third CPA, or sorry, second CPA. So I, I think it doesn't hurt to start with the, an attorney, and the attorney can provide guidance as to what the next steps would be. You've been listening to Your Legal Rights on KALW 91.7 FM, San Francisco Bay Area. Tonight, our yearly, your year-end tax tips program. Our guests have been Cindy Ho of Cindy Ho Law in San Jose and Frank Adam of Pacifica. Thanks to you both, both of our guests for joining us. And be sure to join Your Legal Rights again next week, where, as always, we take your calls and answer your questions. Once again, thanks to our guests and to all of you for joining us. And at the controls, Joanne Mark. I'm Jeff Hayden. Be safe and zealously guard your legal rights. Support for KALW is provided by the Bar Association of San Francisco. If you live in San Francisco or Marin County, the Bar Association's Lawyer Referral Service can arrange for you to meet with an attorney experienced in the area of law related to your situation. Call 415-989-1616 or visit sfbar.org for more information.